Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicked. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. This week, we turn our attention to South Africa. They're not quite the fearsome team they used to be over the last two decades, what with fighting to qualify for the next 50-over World Cup and dealing with frequent conflicts between the board and the players. Yet, they are a proud sporting nation and still produce great players who thrill cricket fans all over the globe. To get more in-depth on what is going on with South African cricket, we are joined by writer and storyteller C.S. Chiwanza. My co-host Mike chatted with C.S. about the talent pool in the country, varying performances across formats, the role of the cricket administration in improving team performance, and the latest T20 league in South Africa. You can also find more of his thoughts on his blog Stumped, which is on Substack. So stay tuned for all that and more. All right, so let's jump in, CS. Um, firstly, thank you so much for being here. Um, I wanted to start by talking about, obviously, the, the tour to Australia, um, the results, have, uh, you know, as well as the manner in which South Africa performed was obviously disappointing. Um, there have been questions about the quality of cricket, but... As I look through the team, as I look through some of the youngsters, right from uh, Miguel Pretorius to Marco Jansen, there's still a lot of talent that is in there in South Africa. Would you yeah, agree? Uh, thank you for, for having me here. Yes, um, there is a lot of talent coming through. And um, I think, you know, it was a it was a tough series for South Africa. And um, I think... What, what made it tougher was that Dinyolga looked seriously out of form. You know, so <clears throat> there was never an opening partnership. And we all know that Dinyolga can bat long and can score big runs. But this is someone who has carried his bat like three times. You know, it's, it's a record. But um, his lack of form did not help matters, especially considering that uh, Keegan wasn't there, you know, because Keegan Peterson has shown himself to be a very good number three batter. So, you know, when you don't have someone in, in, your, in your engine room who's in form and who's as fluent as Keegan... It then creates problems, and then you also have the guys who are coming into the side. You know, tennis, the brain wasn't in the side for the longest time, and you know, so it was shaky. It, it was a shaky top order, and that did not help matters at all. You know, and the bowlers. You know, you can only ask so much from your bowling unit. You need to give them something to bowl at, and. In this series, it, it, it never happened. You know, 
these guys had nothing to work with at all. So, you know, and sometimes, yes, people will complain about Elga's tactics when fielding, you know, field settings and everything, but there was nothing to work with for the bowlers themselves. So, yeah, it was a tough series. You see, people will complain about the tactics, you know, field placings, bowling choices, you know, but um, it doesn't matter what tactics would have been employed. There was just not enough to work with on the board. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But then also, I feel that the loss was good because in England, South Africa had a chance to possibly go two games up. Had they got their selection for the second test right and played Marco Janssen instead of putting in two spinners, you know, there is that thought that maybe the attack would have been a little more potent and maybe England would have faltered. Had that happened and had South Africa won two games in in England and then lost in Australia, you know, people would have said, you know, it's okay. We would have papered over the problems that are within South African cricket. But then, you know, the defeat in England and then in Australia forced people to take a deeper look and then say, you know what, something is not right here. We need to do something to correct the situation. Right. And and do you think... Um... This also varies by format because we looked at the recent T20 World Cup um, and I know one defeat led to South Africa's, you know, um, um, leaving the tournament, but they appear to be a strong side anywhere in the world. Um, in, in T20s and ODIs, they can compete. Uh, so do you think it's also a format-specific issue that South Africa are currently facing? I think so. Look, um, in T20 cricket, my opinion is South Africa is a very strong team. You know, going into the World Cup, I wrote a piece that South Africa had a single problem, which was their opening. Their top order was not performing. You know, their preferred openers were just not playing well. Quinton de Kock was not playing well in the run-up to the World Cup. He was seriously out of form. You know, he didn't do well in India. He didn't do well in England. You know, and I was worried that the poor run might continue into the World Cup. And then Temba had an injury and he was nowhere near his best. And as captain, you know, there's nothing you can do. You know, you can look at his numbers and say, you know what, Temba at his best, is not the perfect guy to have in your team in T20s, but at his best, he's better than what he was at the World Cup. And maybe there would have been a little bit of hope. But then, from number three onwards, a very good unit. And, you know, the blowout against the Netherlands, you know, it it was unfortunate especially after beating India, but, you know. Right. But uh, you you can tell that it's a good team that had a bad day. It's a good team yeah. that had a bad outing. And I feel in ODIs, South Africa is also very good. Uh, if they get a their selection on point, you know, there's, there's always questionable selection that happens, and you're like, but... Uh, are we watching the same players perform in domestic cricket? You know, <laughs> there's there's a bit of a disconnect. Um, but white ball stuff, South Africa is good. It's on the red ball stuff that they have a problem. And and do you think is there has there been any deliberate decision by the board by the administrators to try to focus over limited overs cricket? Um, or deprioritize test cricket, or has that just happened because of a few changes here and there and, and 
um, you know, increasing themes. And I know we'll we'll get into the changes made in the domestic structure. But do you think it's been just um, you know um, reason, uh, just an outcome of the changes, but or has it been anything deliberate like England had back in you know, say, twenty fifteen? I don't think that it was deliberate, but it was a number of poor decision-making. And, you know, in South Africa, there's always lip service to red ball cricket. You know, everyone will tell you that they're committed to red ball cricket, even the administrators, you know, everyone. But then you also get the sense that some of them think that things will just happen on their own accord, you know, like they don't have to put the work in and then they will get the results, you know, but, you know, and, you know, there were a lot of non-cricket decisions that were made. I mean, you know, there was a time I was speaking with one coach um, who told me that, you know what, there was a time when schools played declaration cricket and, high school cricket is played with the red ball but then you know when you play declaration cricket you teach kids to play longer they learn to you know structure innings you know from a young age and there was also so and the 50 over cricket was also in good condition a while back but then over the years some administrators decided that you know t20 is cheaper to run in schools so csa supported schools have had a bigger focus on t20 cricket you know you have kids playing cricket and it's it's not so it's not the best way to prepare kids you know especially when you want to Cricket is a very repetitive sport. You know, you learn your technique, your technique, and you grow up with it. Right. You know, but then when you have to abandon technique at a certain stage in your in your fo- formative years, in, in your teens, in your mid-teens, late teens, then it it creates a problem because you know you're teaching kids to be innovative before they have mastered the craft. You know, and that's one of the reasons why Red Bull cricket suffered. Right. I was actually just finishing Vasim Akram's autobiography yesterday, and he was saying the same thing, that having kids play longer format at a young age is critical because they can always go from the longer format to T20. But making the switch from T20 to longer format, you might you might get the odd exception like David Warner, but um, it's, it's going to be the exception. It's not going to be the rule. Um, so I think that that point is well taken. Um, I do want to talk about your piece uh, from Jan 3rd, uh, The State of the Game. In this, you write, and I quote, uh, shortly after their arrival from England in October 2022, South African cricketers form- formally requested uh, CAS, uh, SACA, South African Cricket Association, to do a formal inquiry into the state of the domestic cricket. So I guess, yes, they had lost the series in England, um, but you don't see teams request such inquiries all the time. So what was the reason, what uh, what was the context of it, and what has come out of that request as well? Well, um, the report, the players... Uh, they, as you are well aware, they have this this body, the South Africa Cricket Players Association, and it looks after the welfare of the cricketers. You know, it does it does a lot of stuff for them. You know, it sends guys to university, those that want to study. You know, a, a lot of stuff. So when these guys came back, you know, they they sat down. Decided that you know the the game is not in a good condition. You know, as early as March last year, I remember a cricketer saying that he plays Division Two cricket, and he was saying that his club, his side, his franchise had asked guys to buy 
stuff for themselves to play with gear you know stuff like helmets and, and you know pads and stuff like that things that you generally expect the franchise to cater for you know and it was some it, it's a red light it's a red flag you know when you hear those stories and then so these guys they felt that this the state of the game was not at the best of places you know they play domestic cricket they see the quality of cricket you know it's everything from from stadiums to to how certain clubs are run to the quality of players that are coming through you know some players might have potential but they might need a little time to to learn their craft before they step up to first class cricket you know it shouldn't be too easy to go from high school right. cricket to professional cricket you know the step up has to be different and there was that general feeling that it was not competitive enough you know it was not creating players who can be world class material so they formally sat down with saka with the president and i he's the one who actually told me that information the the soccer president that these guys came to him they were like you know what we want you to formally investigate this we feel that the game has regressed we feel that the game needs to improve and so soccer started to look into that um, by my knowledge the report might come out in february or march and then after the, the report is out i think they will present it to the director of cricket with the hope that certain changes will be made to the game to help them become better that that makes sense um yeah it's it's interesting that <clears throat> it's become so obvious that the players themselves have started realizing um differences uh, i am also curious i know over the years there's been a lot of migration of south african cricketers whether that's to england to new zealand um do you think this is also a key reason for it like just the lack of ha- having an appealing domestic structure which challenges you um and there's you know other hurdles of course but do you think that is a key reason why so many talented south african cricketers have gone elsewhere to you know showcase their talent um <clears throat> I might be wrong but I've always had the opinion that South Africa produces much more cricketers than its system can take in. You see South Africa is one of the best uh, talent improvement systems in the schools system you know it, it's one of the best worldwide so i feel that you know they produce way too many cricketers for them to be able to keep everybody in mm-hmm. yeah. imagine at between um between 2008 and 2019 2020 there were only six franchises and these were the top franchises it was strength versus strength and everybody else they had to graft to get into one of the six franchises that's limited space okay. and and then you know schools produce by the 100 you know there are so many very good schools so you can only assimilate a few so for me it's a no brainer that when you produce so so many cricketers and yet you have a small league it's natural for certain people to look for opportunities elsewhere and then when you also then have to look at the fact that you know they 
there's the transformation issue. So generally, you know, you are going to then say we are reserving a place for certain cricketers, for a certain type of cricketer, for them to get an opportunity to get better, to, you know, to play. Mm-hmm. So when you do that, you are also going to remove other players from the equation. You know? Right. So where, for instance, white players are concerned, there, is, there are limited spaces. You know, this is the reality of the game or of the situation here. And so people will always weigh their options. Do they feel that they can compete for right. limited spots or do they think they have a better better chance, you know, competing elsewhere? You know, it's it's all very complex when you look at it. Yeah. And, and I'm also curious, you mentioned the six teams, which, you know, reminds me of the Australian structure as well, where they also have, you know, um, six states and um, those are the key teams. So trying to break into those is, is always very challenging. Um, I've, I've read recently that number of teams have increased, um, which has diluted um you know some some of the competition and as you said some of the quality um so let's let's talk about that as well so when was this decision made and um was there a particular reason was it to to just have a lot more cricketers playing a lot more games being held um first let me say it did not result in a lot more games because um at the moment teams are playing seven first-class matches in South Africa and that is a huge worry where the players are concerned. Mm. You know, you have eight first-class division one, first-class division one teams and those eight teams, each team plays seven games. It's, It's ridiculous but that's that's the state of things. And then you have Division 2, also first class. That is another eight teams. And they also play seven games. Now, I don't see how this is helpful to Red Bull cricket. Right. Match practice at, at a young age is, is critical and reducing that to seven red ball games when they've already not played in school level that that makes it even more challenging when they step up to the international arena is that i guess is that where you're going exactly you know i mean in in south africa summer is the cricket season and summer is also when it rains so okay one match is washed out you're left with six and then you have a flat pitch where you're not tested as a batter. You're left with maybe five games where you might be tested. And then you face a team that has a weak bowling attack. Again, you're not tested. So now maybe four matches for you to have your technique tested for you. You know, it's... It's ridiculous when you look at it because there is not enough match practice, you know. And to add on to that, international players are not competing in first-class cricket. You know, I remember a player telling me that the last time that he played alongside Kahiso Rabada was was in 2019 in the Mzansi Super League. And that's because of scheduling also, you know, the fact that the scheduling is poor, you know, these guys, when the domestic season starts, the international guys are trying to rest, you know, and while they are resting, they are also preparing themselves for international games, you know, so there, there is no 
period where these guys will play. You know, the season starts in October and then right. it finishes around March, April. And during this period, there is international cricket. There was international cricket in December before SA20 and then January and then February. And, you know, home games were always in this period where also you are supposed to have domestic cricket. So these guys, their skill, their experience was never brought back into the game, onto the local scene. And so you have a few matches and you have no quality players coming back to play with you. You know, so by expanding the league, it did nothing really for the development of cricket. So it sort of, it chippened first-class status, you know, because suddenly you have to scramble to find players who are going to fill those teams. And the next thing you're going to do is probably take a player who's not yet ready and you rush them through because you want your teams to be to feel to have the right number of players you know people i think forget that you you can have a devil brevis young prodigious talent and then you have your slow cookers you know players who need a little longer before they even play franchise cricket because they have to they have the potential but they they are slow developers you know they are late bloomers right but then when you have a system where you have way too many franchises what you're going to do is you're going to rush those late bloomers and you are going to try to force them to play at a level that will take them three four years to get it's just it just won't work Right. Um, um, the complaint that you mentioned about international players not playing, I think that has just become a reality today because even India complains the same, that um, Indian cricket team, they, the test stars only play um, when they have been dropped. Uh, that's the only time they go back to domestic cricket, but otherwise the schedule doesn't allow them. So, yeah, the scheduling aspect is, is something that in general from... I think an ICC perspective, that's something to worry about because all this burnout, all this, you know, uh, continuous cricket that we are all, uh, all these cricketers are playing, um, that definitely has an impact on the longer term. Um, you know, if you if you keep rotating players, which some teams have started doing, even then the quality will, you know, likely go up and down. It won't be consistently very high. Um, but I guess I'm also curious, what are the other changes? I know you talked a little bit about declaration cricket. Um, I wanted to also ask what, what does that mean? Because that's not a term people outside South Africa might be familiar, but it sounded like, um, cricket for school kids without any overs. Is that, um, is that right? Is something like two day cricket? So declaration cricket is longer than 50 overs. You know, it's. At some schools, they will encourage kids to declare after maybe 55 overs or maybe 60 overs, depending on on the time allocation that has been decided upon. And sometimes it's overnight, you know. But the bottom line is it's long-form cricket. You know, it's... It teaches cricket, you know, to youngsters to play longer innings. You know, it's it's an extension of one day cricket, as to say right. in a in a different way. Gotcha. And what are the other domestic changes that have gone in? I guess I'm curious. You mentioned teams went from six to 16 and they've been divided into two divisions from a kid's perspective declaration cricket has gone away what are the other key changes that have happened over the past few years and what have been the impacts so far well um there was once you know now 
when I spoke of semi-pro cricket, semi-pro cricket had three-day cricket. So you are fresh out of school. You have played your Cubs week, your, your whatevers, and you will then, the clubs will take you in, let's say, for example, I would use the Titans. The Titans had the Northerns set up. So players like your Fafd Duplessis, your A.B. de Villiers, Hashimamlas, you know, they did not go from school, no matter how talented they were, they did not go from school to the Titans directly. That is much more likely to happen now. You know, even Quinton de Kock, one of the most outrageously talented youngsters, he played club cricket as a youngster during his school years. He was playing club cricket. And then he went on to play for the strikers, which is semi-pro. He was still a youngster when he played in that zone. And then from there, <clears throat> he played professional. You know, so in, in the semi-pro zone where the strikers were, the Houghton strikers, which feeds into the Lions, the Northerns, which feeds into the Titans. These guys did not just play white ball cricket, they played three-day cricket. You know, so they had the opportunity to groove their game. You know, when guys right. were dropped from the Titans, they went back to play, you know, for the feeder sides. So there was always that interchange of quality and you know people sharpen their skills they hone their skills in that in, in that zone you know right and you also had you know your aging cricketers they would still compete you know they still have the skills they would be there yeah <clears throat> guys like Ashimamla, they played in durban they would play for inland or coastals you know it was all semi-pro but then today as we speak one of those semi-pro sides is now called Tuskers, and it's now it now has semi-pro status. You know, so you can see how all of these little things, you know, when you look at them, they add little percentages. You know, the removal of declaration cricket and fifty, you know, declaration cricket in schools, fewer fifty-over cricket matches in schools, more T20. That's maybe five percent effect on the state of the game, you know, you look at the removal of three-day cricket, that's another maybe 10, 15% of an impact on the game, you know, chipping of the first-class status, you know, that's another 20, 30%, the lack of international players playing, that's enough, you know, so when you add it all up, it makes a big difference. Exactly. And, and this is what the administrators did not look at when they were making these decisions. And I think if you followed South African cricket, there was a whole mess in the past few years with money being misappropriated, used wrongly, you know, CSA going broke and no nothing in the reserves, you know. I mean, right now, the mismanagement has been so, so great that there are three first-class teams that do not have CEOs, they are just on autopilot. Yeah, and it's because someone up there is too busy with something else to look at how these sides are functioning. Wow. Yeah, and and I'm also curious because we've started talking about administration, and which is obviously a key aspect. Uh, what's been the role of um, Graham Smith? I know he's leading the T20 tournament right now. Um, but he's such a highly respected captain. I know he he jumped in as CSA president for uh, a little bit. Um, what has he done in terms of not just working with other boards, but also thinking about some of these changes that you mentioned? Has he had a chance to work through these, make changes, or or not quite? Well, to to my knowledge, okay, <clears throat> I will. You see when. When Graham Smith came in as the director of cricket for, for CSA, his 
part of his job was to help, was to oversee all of this then. But the problem that he also faced was the fact that he was also juggling another hat. On one hand, he was trying to market South African cricket. You know, so he sort of became a marketing officer because at that point, I don't think there was a marketing officer. So, you know, suddenly he has to use his influence to to make sure that things run smoothly. He, he was spending a lot of time trying to secure fixtures for the Proteas. I mean, he had to spend time talking to his counterparts in, in India to make sure that... It, that a, a tour happened without that tour things would have been disastrous because SA twin CSA was broke it, they were right. approaching D-Day I, I did a piece on this at some point um, they were up, approaching a, a point where they would not have any money to work with any money to run the game you know they were approaching a point where they could not give franchises money to pay players to maintain stadiums to everything it was going to come to a halt right and for years south africa has been reliant on india touring south africa mm-hmm. india tours south africa money comes with that uh, you know broadcasting rights money you know. so i remember talking to way before the soccer president he was telling me that you know cricket south africa made sure from way back when when they realized that there was money in broadcasting they made sure that in a cycle in a four-year cycle india would visit south africa at least once for red ball cricket because that would bring in a lot of money and you see the problem with test cricket is that when south africa is playing a and everyone else, even if it's Australia or England, when they host everyone else, they run a loss. And the loss is millions of runs. Yeah. So all the losses that they would run hosting everyone else would be covered when India comes. Right. You know, so there was things were uncertain there was covid and everything australia had pulled out of a tour to south africa england had pulled out of a tour to south africa there was there were fears that india would do the same and graham smith was running around scrambling trying to make sure that that did not happen you know so during his two years as the director of cricket he i don't think he had the opportunity to work on the developmental side of the game or to work on the pipeline because you know he's busy trying to make sure that things happen here yeah i you know because in south africa before sa20 the proteas brought in 85 percent of cricket south africa's revenue so when the proteas don't host India. It's a big issue, you know. When they don't play, it's right. It's a big problem, and also the fact that sponsors had pulled up. I think you can tell that right now there is no sponsors logo on the Proteas. You know, they haven't had sponsors in a while, two three years now. And so suddenly you have your director of cricket is now trying to market cricket to potential stakeholders, potential sponsors. And so there was never that. I don't think to be fair to him, I don't think he had the opportunity to be looking at that. And uh, unfortunately, after he left, uh, Enoch Nkwe came in. He came in. Things were a little okay because now we had SA20 with Graham Smith again, you know. 
right. the, as commissioner of SA20. And then Enoch now has to try to juggle that you know, to make sure that once there's money, it goes to the right places. This is, I think, from now onwards, this is where we, we will say, is the money going where it's supposed to go? Because one thing that a lot of people don't know is in South Africa, there's only, I think, two or three franchises right now that turn a profit. Every other franchise is waiting for money from CSA. For them to run, they are waiting for money from CSA. You know, about three franchises have sponsors on board. They have everything. You know, they have their houses in order. CSA give them money, yes, but they have alternative sources of income, which makes things better. But without that, there's nothing. Yeah, and, and that explains why some of them have stopped giving kits and expecting players to start buying their own. Precisely. Uh, but I guess um, the other thing that you touched upon was the South Africa T20 tournament, which has you know got, started off with a pretty solid start. The turnout has been solid. Um, so I do want to talk about this and you know where it takes South African cricket. So firstly, from a monetary standpoint, you mentioned there's been all these issues where they've become very dependent on India touring, um, which is obviously never a good thing. Um, this SAT20 is probably a very good thing from that perspective. We've seen good crowds. We've seen um, good you know number of people watching on TV. And, and obviously, players are benefiting as well, not just because they're getting paid well, but they're rubbing their shoulders with international stars. Um, so I think a great outcome for uh, for youngsters for the again limited over team. But do you think it are the concerns that we have regarding Test cricket regarding the longer format stay pretty much untouched? Look, um, SA twenty. I've heard people complain that you know IPL teams owning local teams. Now we have feeder programs for. IPL and all sorts of stuff. But I look at the IPL personally. It's sort of the NBA of cricket. Every quality player wants to go there. It's been tried, it's been tested, we know it's a success, we know it's competitive. So if your competition can be a satellite of the IPL, then you are certainly guaranteed Indian audiences. And without doubt, having that boosts your broadcasting revenue because we are talking of a billion eyeballs watching your tournament. You know, so definitely you're going to get a lot of money. And as you stated also, it's not just the money, it's also you're playing with your Sam Currents, you're playing with Adil Rashid, you're playing with Rashid Khan, you're playing, you know, you have all of these guys coming in, they're sharing their knowledge with you, they are competing against some of you. And also, you suddenly have your international stars in the local and overseas. It's competitive. It's going to sharpen the skill. Yeah, and where we say it at the start that South Africa has a very good white ball team, now it will become even better. Right. But also, how this then translates to helping red ball cricket is if the administrator, administrators sit down and channel the money into the pipeline. You see... I remember when I did a piece on how bankrupt South African cricket was. I said, you know, it's the it's a time we have reached a time where, in the past, Test cricket life into T Twenty cricket. 
right. it's money coming from Tesla. But now it's time for T Twenty cricket to help Test cricket survive, and the only way that can happen is if you channel the money you make from your T Twenty league into the pipeline, and then you help your players to grow. And besides that, it, the other day Marco Janssen was batting against Rashid Khan and he smashed him all over the ground. He was not slogging; he was playing very good cricket shorts so we have reached that point where people will have to start to appreciate the fact that t20 cricket isn't just about slogging you need your technique to be proper you know so when your technique is proper you can you know play your t20 you help generate income but you can also play test cricket i do not buy into the whole idea that t20 cricket has killed test cricket Right. Because batting is batting. <laughs> you are, the ball is going to swing. Someone is going to is going to bowl good leg spin and and all of that, you know? Technique right. is still important. Yeah, I remember speaking to T twenty specialists who say they practice long format cricket for them to play well in T twenty cricket. So these things still feed into each other. So, you know, if managed well, the SA20 might be the thing that South Africa needs to revive their their ripple for. Yeah. What do you What do you think? And this is probably going to be a good good way to wrap up. Is I am completely on board in terms of you know getting funds from SA20, channeling channeling them towards. Uh, red ball cricket, particularly at the junior level, but what do you think it has an impact on? Um, does it have an impact on Test cricket because it's also going to be held in January, which is, you know, typically December and January are the seasons that the months where South Africa hosts Test series, or even when they go abroad to Australia or New Zealand, those are the time periods when they play their Test cricket. So, do you think that scheduling also becomes a little bit of a problem because as the premier T20 tournament in South Africa, they would want some of the top players to take take part. Well, I think, look, England has a whole window for the 100. They don't play anything else. It's just the 100. And it's in August. You know, so it's, it's casting stone. And that's their best month for for cricket also. I know India India has a lot of good time to play cricket. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but they also have their own window. You know, Australia, the big bash, they have their strict window in in December. So I mean when you look at it in that way, you find that everyone else who's trying to make money from T20 cricket is picking the prime window so that you, you, you don't want your chicken that lays the golden eggs to have problems. So you give it prime space. However, what that might also mean is that, you know, the December test matches they can still happen because it's January and Feb where SA20 happens. So you can still have your summer of cricket from November, in November and December. There never, must, there never was much cricket in November, international cricket, that is. And then right. you also have to look at the window from February going forward. And if this also means that South Africa has to adjust their domestic calendar, you know, stretch it a, a little bit instead of ending it in March, stretch it into May. It will be an, a, a bit cold, but it's not super cold. You know, the season starts around October, started earlier, you know, September, it's already hot. 
it's it's already hot in South Africa. You know, August might be windy, but September, you know, you can play. You know, so these are things that people have to be looking at. Stretch the window a, a little bit more, create more space, create more time, you know. And you can tour countries like England in the South African winter. That makes sense. Um, well, CS, I want to thank you for all your insights, all your amazing uh, work that you do, because I love reading it. But um, also thank you for taking the time and joining us today and, and just sharing your perspective on where South Africa is going. Um, we'll hope, as I'm sure most South African cricket fans do, that uh, this T20 tournament brings in the money that's much needed to, you know, re-energize the test game, the the domestic Red Bull game as well. Um, and yeah, hope to hope to also have you back on the podcast uh, discussing something something else South Af- on South Africa. No, thank you very much. Uh, look, I, I enjoyed myself. I, I haven't talked this much in a long time, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed myself. Look, I'm, I'm always happy to, to come and chat when, when you think it's it's okay. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Last Wicket. Do check out other episodes on your podcast app of choice, or at thelastwicket.com. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny and Mike. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.